Welcome to Better Words, a podcast for readers who want to know the stories behind the pages. We're your hosts, Caitlin and Michelle, two book nerds who bring you in-depth conversations about writing and publishing from those on the inside. Basically, we're just here to talk about books. We're so glad you're joining us. We originally aired this interview with Michael Earp in May 2019, ahead of the release of Kindred, 12 Queer Love Oswaye Stories in June 2019. Since Underdog and Kindred came out last year, Michael has been very busy promoting them. He received an Australia Council grant in order to tour Kindred and its authors to different writers' festivals and managed to make appearances at seven festivals around Australia and New Zealand before travel restrictions and festivals were cancelled. So since COVID, he's been busy writing and working. And at the moment, he's mainly working on a junior fiction series. Michael also launched a new website and an exciting mailing list where he sends you a short story when you sign up, which is very, very cool. As if he's not already busy enough, Michael was also a judge for the young adult category of the Victorian Premier's Literary Awards, and we'll be doing that again this year in 2020. Enjoy our chat. This week, we're welcoming a writer, editor and bookseller with a passion for diverse children's and young adult literature. He studied early childhood teaching and children's literature so he can be better equipped to write about and sell books for young readers. He's also part of an incredible new Love Oswaye anthology, Underdog Short Stories, and is editing another short story anthology full of queer Love Oswaye stories, which will be released in coming months. Welcome to Better Words, Michael Earp. Hi, thanks for having me. Thank you so much for joining us. We both read um, your story in Underdog and we're like, oh my God, it's so cute. (laughs) It is so lovely and sweet. It is, you know, like lovely, sweet, contemporary YA that's just like right up our alley. We live for the stories. I basically just wrote the, the cuteness that I want in my own life. Yeah, feel that. Yeah. (laughs) So, I guess the best place to start before we talk specifically about your story would be Underdog itself and how you got involved in that anthology. Um, Well, I it was there was a general call out um, for submissions. It was the parameters where you just had to write for young adults and be an Australian and be unpublished. And so at the time I was all of those things and um, saw the the call out going around social media. And so I thought, well, I can do that. And I even had a story ready to go because interestingly, I had written Meet and Greet, which is the story in Mm -hmm. Underdog, intending to put it in Kindred, but then due to an editorial choice of my own for Kindred, I decided to write something else for that. And so I had a story sitting there. And so when I saw Underdog be advertised, I thought, well, I don't even have to do the work for this. I've got this ready to go. <laughs> I set it up. And yeah, I was lucky enough to be one of the 12 stories selected, which is thrilling. It's great. Yeah. I just, I think it's such an amazing idea. And I know Underdog only just came out, but I do hope, it's something that, you know, can continue and it can, you know, continue to share new batches, uh, new of, yeah. unpublished writers because 
Like, what a cool idea to share a short story. And definitely, I think, in this case, in the first round of the 12 of you who were chosen, you know, there were so many familiar names yes, for a lot bloggers. of us yes. and bloggers oh, yeah. that we know. <laughs> and so I think that We're very good. active online. So. Yeah. <laughs> that was really fun. But I was so impressed. And we aren't going to go into Underdog too much because we have a second episode with Tobias, but we were both so impressed with the quality of the writing mm. and, like, I'm just so excited for the future of young adult literature in this country if these these are our like previously unpublished writers it's just so exciting yeah I think it's such a strong collection and really varied in what everyone is offering as well yeah um, yeah some of those stories really took me by surprise I mean I guess I was caught up in my own head with uh, my own story that was in it and kind of just assumed there'd be a lot of contemporary realism mm. but there's actually a really good mix of very different genres and styles in underdog and so it's a great thing to be a part of it's a great thing to be in the world and like it really is all down to tobias and the underdog team because it's tobias's dream and hard work and money that he sunk into this project and so you know kudos to him to getting it out there in the world definitely it's a it's a fantastic project but let's go back to you and your really gorgeous story so we've been gushing about it, but for people who haven't read it, it's basically like a bookstagram meet cute. Why did you want to like do a new sort of bookish bookstagram spin on a classic, you know, meet cute story? It came about because I had just spent a wonderful day at Melbourne Writers Festival myself. It was 2016? No. 17. I'm mixed up. I think it's 16. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was 2016. Um, The year that David Levithan came out for Melbourne Writers Festival. And so I had just basically done what the main character um, had done, which is go to a Melbourne Writers Festival event and meet his literary idol so I had seen David Levithan speak and then queued to get my books signed and by books I mean I had a green bag full of about 20 of them. <laughs> I stacked them up on the table and was like don't mind me I'm just obsessed with you um and <laughs> so and then after that I had spent a wonderful afternoon with friends, uh, we went to a cafe in De Grave Street. I ate hot chips and drank hot chocolate, and I just came away from it thinking that was such a lovely day. Yeah, imagining a short story was sort of structured around that, and and interestingly, that I find this fascinating, funny, particularly because when I wrote it, wrote that story, I had Kindred in mind for it, but it was like not that this particular Instagram relationship was flirty or anything like that. But I had known Tobias very vaguely through Instagram and had, that was the sort of seed for the Instagram meet cute part of it. Cause I was like, what if there was someone that you knew a little bit online and then you met them in real life? Yeah. Yeah. And because you both like the same sort of things, books in this case, And so I, um, that's how that element of the story worked its way in. And then by the turn of events, it was Tobias who then published this particular (laughs) story. 
<laughs> but you know what? I, I love, love that so yeah. much because like we have this experience as well and I I mean totally platonic relationships but I mean I've literally gone overseas to stay with someone I've only met through Twitter like it's it just blows my mind the more that we start talking about these things how mm. many of my friends and I would say you know I tell people in real life I'm like oh my friend my friend's such and such and they're like oh how did you meet I'm like Instagram yeah um, you know like we would consider so many people we know on Instagram to be our friends yet we might have met once or you know we might have yeah. been chatting and considered them a friend long before we met it's just it's like the new millennium version of pen pal friends yeah absolutely when I went to America last year I met one guy who I'd known on Twitter for seven years and we had met uh, online because I was tweeting about my master's thesis um, which was I wrote I wrote a young adult novel for my master's thesis and mm. I was and it was um it was all about it was a um, queer YA sort of looking at religion and sexuality and that sort of thing and so I was tweeting about mm. that and then this guy he had done his PhD on exactly the same topic oh. and so we ended up like sharing our theses with each other and giving each other feedback and stuff. And so we'd been friends for years online. And then we finally met when I went to a children's book selling conference in New Orleans. And he didn't go to that because he's not a bookseller, but um, he works in the world of like libraries and the American Library Association conference was directly following the children's book selling one and so we had one night in New Orleans together where we had dinner and hung out all night and then like now we chat all the time it's brilliant that's awesome that's so cool so I love bookish friendship stories like yeah that's just it like yeah. you get to know you get to know people online and like I have other friends that I met through Instagram because I posted a, a photo of uh, a, a Philip Pullman event that I was at. Like, Philip Pullman wasn't even there. He was being telecasted in. But <laughs> because of this photo that I posted, someone who had been following me but never interacted with me up until that point was like, oh, my God, I love him. And I'm like, so do I. And now we chat almost every single day. So awesome. I mean, you know, pre, I guess, Instagram friends and, you know, using the internet to talk to people outside of, you know, my town or whatever, I have always said that most of my current friendships are based on Harry Potter. You know, mm. like we become friends with people because we have similar interests and everything. And it's just, it's just awesome that it can happen with anybody anywhere in the world. So I love that your story celebrates that. It's beautiful. Yeah. So beautiful. So that sort of answered my next question, which was your experience of the bookish community online. But would you say that? that bookish community has changed your reading habits? In some ways, I think it does. Like, my reading habits have been so strangely dictated my whole life. Well, not my whole life, but for seven years I worked for um, Walker Books as one of their sales reps, mm -hmm. and I prided myself on being a rep that had read most of what I was selling. So I did a lot of reading that was just what Walker was publishing. And yeah. like maybe once a month be fitting in a book that um, wasn't a Walker book. But uh, yeah, so for seven years of my life, I had my reading fairly well 
planned out for me and yeah squeezed in other things when I could since yeah. moving back to bookselling and I'm like now I can choose whatever I want <laughs> it's like it's one thing to say that because I can choose from all the publishers now without being you know uh, frowned upon but <laughs> at the same time I have all of the sales reps that see me pushing the new releases on me saying oh you really have to read this you really have to read this and so there's this expectation from all of the publishers to keep up to date with all of their key new releases yeah and so now I feel that pressure and part of me is like I'm just gonna buck against that and read whatever the hell I want whenever I want because I just can't handle it um but then it's also really bizarre with the whole Instagram bookish community. I usually avoid hype. If if a book's being hyped, I'm like, not for me. Yes. Not for me. I don't care. Yes. Years later, I'll be like, okay, I'll see what it's like. Yeah, I, <laughs> I like make it my mission to ignore it. Like, yeah, I'm like, no, nah, not for me. <laughs> I know, but then she's just super late to the party, basically. Yeah, basically. <laughs> I mean, that's like I read Illuminate two years after everyone was raving about it, and I'm like, that was so much fun. <laughs> I probably should have read that when everyone else did. But anyway, but I love like it's really fascinating when I have people come into the shop, and like I'll be serving them, helping them find a book or whatever, and then they'll be like, ah. Oh, I follow you on Instagram because <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, how personal do I get in my Instagram? And like, I mean, I don't get too personal, but then they know my reading habits and they know what I like. It's a great community to be a part of. I love it. It is. And, you know, I agree with you there. I even still get shocked sometimes when people are like, oh no, like I've listened to your podcast, even like, you know, other, like other best friends or my roommate or my family or something they're like oh yeah no I've listened and I'm like what and I'm like even though they're the people who know me best in the world I'm still like oh, what have I said yeah, yeah. But- there's, there's a beautiful thing in the am and an, an anonymity I can't get that word out of my mouth right now <laughs> and then me social media where you're like you know people are looking but you don't know those people per se. And yeah. like when someone is standing in front of you going, yes, I was reading everything that you've put on your blog. I'm like, oh, wow. <laughs> Immediately goes back to check old posts. Yeah. Obviously you're having a huge year because you've got Underdog that's just been released and you've gone through all the launch parties for that. But pretty soon you're also about to launch Kindred, which is that queer Love Oz YA anthology we mentioned in the intro. And you're editing it, which is really exciting, but obviously a lot of work. So tell us a bit about how you got involved. Kindred was a dream of mine that I concocted in 2016, 17. There we go. <laughs> I'll get my Because I had. Uh, at the time, I was the chair of the Love of Way A committee. I was a volunteer as a part of that committee and had recently become chair when Danielle Binks had stepped down. Um, and she was just experiencing her success with the release of Begin and Begin, the first sort of Love of Way anthology. And so that was out in the world. And so I remember exactly when I started thinking about Kindred because I was at the launch of Begin Then Begin and 
Danielle obviously being the previous chair of the Love Oswaye committee and me being the current one, lots of people came up to me at that launch and was like, this is great. When are, are you editing the next one? <laughs> oh, <laughs> pressure. Being the chair of the committee and editing an anthology is not the same. Yeah, they don't go hand in hand. No, Danielle has done a lot of work getting Begin Then Begin out into the world of her own accord and working with her publisher in order to do that. And the fact that she also volunteered on the Lovell's Way com committee was, you know, almost completely separate to that. It's yeah. just they happened to use the same hashtag and so people saw them as being one and the same. And so everyone asking me, like I had never considered editing anything before because I don't think of myself as an editor, but when everyone was asking me this, I was like, yeah, what What if I did? Like, Good idea. <laughs> but if I did, me being me, I would want it to be a dedicated queer one because I just, usually when I see something that I like in the world, I'm like, okay, I like that. How can I make it gay? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's when I started plotting. And then it was a month, I think, later, maybe two months later, that I went to the Reading Matters conference mm -hmm. that the State Library of Victoria holds. And um, that was just mind-blowing for me. Adele Welsh had done the programming for it and she had smashed it out of the park that year. It was such a brilliant conference and I just felt alive on every level coming away from that. And it was at Reading Matters that I was like, yes, the world needs more diverse voices. Mm -hmm. What can I do to help that? And so I really started brainstorming who I would ask to be in a Lovers Way um, anthology that was queer focused and um, just started dreaming up my wish list of authors. And then I actually, that w I started dreaming that up with the help of Danielle and Nicola Santilli, who turned out to be my editor on Kindred as well. Um, mm -hmm. She helped me right from the beginning, putting the pitch together. And so then I just started pitching publishers until I got an offer. Uh, and then, then the work began. And if you want, if you want to like clock a few um, hundred thousand words in emails, then you know, edit an anthology. It's <laughs> a great way to get your word count up, <laughs> even if not a <laughs> not what you're thinking of creative word count but um yeah who are some of the authors who were involved and you know how many of them were on your initial dream list right um oh if I knew that question was coming I would have found but maybe it's sorry no that's all right I think I've got my notebook where I wrote my initial yeah here it is my reading notes. it'll be here somewhere and so Oh, this sounds terrible. Like, I don't know if I should name the the, the ones that ma made the original cut. <laughs> also, well, if you count me, because I was always going to contribute. <laughs> you were always on the list, yeah. Six of the of my original wish list, or well, just brainstorming list, actually. It was just that if I could ask anyone, who would I ask? And so six of the 12. So cool. That's amazing. So the complete contributor list as it stands for those who 
don't know because this is, I'm just so proud of this list of contributors. I think it's brilliant. Um, we've got Jax Jackie Brown, Claire G. Coleman, Alison Evans, Aaron Goff, Benjamin Law, Omar Saka, Christos Tolkis, Ellen Van Nieven, Marley Jane Ward, Jen Wilde, and Nevozism, as well as myself. What a lineup! I know. It's brilliant. It's really, really exciting. It's so exciting. You must be getting so excited now that, you know, I, guess, I suppose, I don't want to say the journey is like coming to an end, but, you know, we're almost, you know, it's almost out in the world. <laughs> you say that, but uh, there's a whole lot of work going on. Yeah. Like, for example... About a month ago, yeah, at the beginning of March, it went to print, mm-hmm. and that was an amazing moment, and I had a little bit of a cry. Yeah, and then <laughs> just to know that, oh yes, we're, we've gone to print. Um, I can stop stressing about that side of things now, and now I'm like, oh yes, going forward, because um, not only am I planning of the more extravagant book launches that I've ever known um, <laughs> uh, but also and that's proving to be a lot of work for me which is fine it's a you know thing of passion and I just want this to be a huge celebration but also um, I was awarded an Australia Council of the Arts grant to to uh, a selection of the authors to writers festivals around Australia. My work is cut out for me in that regard because speaking of emails, there's lots of negotiating (laughs) who's going to which festival and who's paying for what and how can I get kindred in front of as wider audience as possible. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yep. Okay. So the work's not over. Never mind. (laughs) Not at all. (laughs) So, you know, you did just say like that getting this book out there with all the festivals in front of a big audience so why do you think a book like Kindred is so important in making queer stories more accessible and more part of like the mainstream culture? I mean there's that that thing you hear over and over and over from lots of different authors who say I just I wrote the book that I wanted to have when I was a teenager Mm. and like I have a similar story where I did not read any books with queer characters in it as teen- as a teenager. And it wasn't until I was in my early to mid-20s that I actually started discovering queer fiction at all. To know that we're now in a place where, I mean, I don't want to say that these books are being published for queer teens because there has been queer YA as far back as the 80s and 90s. It just probably wasn't as widely spread as it could have been mm-hmm. um, and so now that this is something that people are actively engaging with and actively collection building as far as school libraries are concerned as far as public libraries are concerned bookshops having dedicated sections and you know all of that sort of thing it's great that I can just have something that is so clearly branded as queer YA like there's no escaping what's going on with my book it's <laughs> <laughs> real clear <laughs> your face um but at the same time it's it is for everyone um we have that stunning quote on the cover from lily wilkinson it just says it's beautiful fresh and exciting it's a book for everyone i love that so much because another another one of my sort of personal mission statements or you know motivations i guess is something that i find myself saying a lot that if 
uh, straight people read as many queer stories as queer people have been forced to read straight stories, the world would be a very different place. That's so because, true. Yeah. Like, it, and it's not just books too, it's um, TV and movies, like the amount of straight storylines that we're just fed endlessly. And I mean, you know, I, I understand the law of majorities and all of that, but that's not the point. Um, the point is that's how we've had to, we've had to try and work out, am I the like in this scenario that I'm watching or reading, do I identify more with the boy or the girl and or whatever? Queer existence just stretches so far beyond that. And so I'm really glad that I can add to what is out there in the world and have straight people read it as well as queer people of all kinds. My God, yeah, no, just what you said then, I'm like, oh my God, the math I hadn't really thought about before. <laughs> yeah. because, like, obviously we know that those stories are more common or whatever in the media, in mainstream media. When you think back on how many you've read that have have just been purely straight up straight stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, Without making a conscious decision to diversify our reading. Yeah. Because we're yeah. part of a community that, you know, is very in tune with what's happening. Like if I think of what I was reading before, yeah. uh, before Bookstagram and before, like just as a general reader based on, going into a bookshop and seeing what or, was there. Or whatever yeah. was at the top of the bestseller yeah. list. Or, you know, even, yeah, books is one thing, but then you think about, you know, movies and TV shows and mm. things like that that just kind of get thrown at you and you just are around and everything. The math is And the other thing, um, and I mean, we can't speak too much about this because we are obviously you know, are white, straight. straight. Yeah. I know the other thing that is often talked about even when you do have queer stories in mainstream TV shows or movies, anything like that, sometimes those stories can not be as diverse. Like they just, um, you know, create a stereotype then, mm-hmm. whereas, you know, straight stories are always, you know, there's always a different version or whatever, but yeah. there just seems yeah. to sometimes just box in, you know, different types of gay people and that's all you see on tv yeah absolutely um there is there is not one way of being queer Mm. and the other thing i would love to say like i know i can't speak to it much as a you know cis white man but um this is also all other kinds of diversity and Mm. identity and um like people of color and disability and all of those types of things like, I need to be actively reading more voices more widely as well in those regards, not just the queer man. Yeah. It's just it's an all-rounder thing, basically. But um, speaking on this, we've got another beautiful uh, endorsement quote from Alison Whitaker. And I won't read the whole thing, but there is a sentence in it that says, these dozen stories don't capture a singular queer and or trans voice on this continent yet they harmonise in a way that draws us in, into the choir. Oh yeah, yeah that's, that's like the perfect example of what yeah. you're trying to create, isn't it? Anyway, I think the other thing that we have time to chat because we are getting close to, I guess, the end of the episode, but on your website you wrote that, you know, at first you kind of worried about cocooning yourself a bit too much in children's and YA. 
Um, but then you realise, you know, that's perfectly okay because it makes you genuinely really happy and motivated. Um, so I guess it would be nice if you could expand on that a little bit more and tell us what it is about Children's NYA that you do love so much. See, it was never a conscious decision for me to move into this world. It happened very organically. I was working at Borders. Those of you who remember Borders. Oh, I do um, remember them. <laughs> I was working at the Pitt Street Mall in Sydney store, the huge one in the city in the city centre. It was split over three levels. And when I first started, I was working on all three levels. But the top floor was simply the children's section and the magazine section. All adult literature was downstairs. And just Slowly but surely, I found that it was the kids' books that I was reading more of. It was um, that they were just more fun and I was engaged with them more. And so I started requesting more and more shifts on, on that top floor. And before I knew it, I had become what board is called the children's specialist. And so all of my shifts were dedicated children's section shifts. And, um, yeah, so for five and a half years, I just worked in the children's section of a massive bookshop and loved every minute of it. And in that time, I decided that I wanted to write for children. And so I wondered, do I, do I go and study writing and come out the other end as a penniless writer? <laughs> that's how I envisioned it or do it's I not that far from the truth though <laughs> <laughs> or do I study something that would potentially give me a career that I can at least have a day job on the other side of and so I decided what I would do is teaching because that way I'm learning about children and their development when I came out the other end I would at least be able to get a job as a teacher and try and fit my writing around it I foolishly believed that teachers get these epic holidays that they have nothing to do in and so I'd be able to write my extensive time off like I very quickly learned that that is not the case and anyone who thinks that is the case needs to really look at how much work teachers do and how underpaid they are but I also chose all of the creative writing electives that I could and then ended up doing my honours in children's literature too, I wrote and illustrated a picture book and wrote a dissertation on that picture book for my honours thesis. And so, yeah, then I went on to study my master's in children's literature, which branched from picture books right through to young adult fiction. Mm -hmm. And like I said earlier, wrote a YA novel as part of my master's course. And then, I, yeah, I got to a point where I realised that I had only read three or five adult books in the last six or seven years and how just so far removed I was from the world of adult books. When anyone asks me anything about adult books, I get really anxious and clam up because I feel like I don't know anything about them and don't really have an interest in learning anything about them. <laughs> Terrible, I know. But... um. Then I realised when people were starting to ask me to come and talk at events from my bookseller's perspective, I realised that what I had done in my 15-odd years of nothing but children's literature, I was 
developing, like, I'm now an expert on some level on, um, you know, well, I know, I know what I'm talking about because it's literally been my life for 15 years. Yeah, um, no, I'd say you're pretty qualified. <laughs> so, um, yeah, now I try not to get too hard on myself as having wasted my life reading children's books and realise that children's books are brilliant and they're entirely worthy of my time and the fact that I can um, dedicate my life to them in every way, shape and form at the moment, uh, like writing, reading, book selling, advocacy, you know, all of it. I'm, I'm really happy that I've gone the way that I have and I'm even more thrilled that I'm now getting to the point where I can contribute my own writing to that world. Absolutely. That's just wonderful. And I do love the way you described all of that because I think sometimes children's books and YA and everything can be seen as, you know, a bit silly or frivolous or like adults shouldn't be reading these Mm. books intended for teens. And I don't think that's going away. I think I'm just getting more involved in the world (laughs) where it is okay. I still have people, like when you're out meeting people for the first time who aren't from the world of books Mm -hmm. and you tell them you read a lot and they're like, oh, what do you read? And you start listing things and they're like, I've never heard of these people. And you're like, well, it's because they're kids or YA books and you just get this, oh, as an adult... I feel entirely fulfilled by my reading. I do not feel like I am lacking anything from reading children's literature. There is just as many big ideas about the world, about the human condition, about how we relate to each other in children's books as there are in adult books. And I refuse to have anyone make me feel any less because this is what I enjoy reading and this is what I get out. Oh my god, yes. You just phrased that so well. <laughs> yes, yes. I want to frame that and put it on my wall. It's so good. Yes, okay. I think that's the perfect note to end it on. Let's just all embrace who we are, embrace what we love, and celebrate it, and also never shame anyone else for liking what they like. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us, Michael. Um, hopefully everyone will be able to pick up a copy of Kindred in all good bookstores. Same with Underdog. Um, But, yes, where can people find you specifically if they want to follow you online? So I blog at um, michaelerp.net and I'm on Instagram and Twitter at littleelfman.com. Sorry, just littleelfman. That's my handle. (laughs) There's no.com on the end of that. Thank you for having me. Bye. Thank you for listening to Better Words. You can chat to us on Instagram at betterwordspod. And follow me, Michelle, at Unfinished Bookshelf. And me, Caitlin, at Just a Bookish Babe. If you liked this episode, please share it with a book-loving friend and leave a rating or review. Bye.